Remember, freedom is a gift from God. Choose to accept it, guard it, nourish it, share it with your loved ones. Don't let anyone take it from you. Choose to be free. Learn how to choose freedom with your host, Dr. Baruch Platner. Welcome to the show, my friends. Uh, it's not easy to talk to you about what I want to talk to you about today, because, let's face it, our uh, side of the political divide, of the socio-political divide, of the ideological divide, has suffered a tremendous blow in this election. And unfortunately, what is happening in the aftermath of the election is uh, making it worse. And what I mean by that is that we are making it worse. Our side is making it worse. Americans uh, traditionally have always prided themselves on pragmatism. That's how I always felt. You know, um, even though I'm an American citizen, I uh, was born in the Soviet Union and lived uh, at least the first half of my life in Israel. And um, in that sense, I'm not uh, uh, per se an American. But that gives me a kind of a... Um, an interesting, I think, window into the American psyche. And so far, I mean, I wouldn't say so far, but I mean, uh, in my previous life, historically, as far as my personal history goes, I was always so admiring, really. I admired the American um, way. I admired the American um, pragmatism. Uh, you know, people in my kind of sphere often said, oh, Americans, you know, they're kind of bumblers or boobs or whatever. And I said, no, 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 no. I admire it about them because I admire it that you can have the world's leading expert in a certain branch of engineering, a guy with like a PhD degree from a really good engineering school. And he's not really interested in you know, classical music and world affairs and, and the writings of Voltaire, as maybe his European counterpart would be. He's interested in baseball, okay, or football, and that's all he cares about outside of his work and, of course, outside of his family. And while many kind of in my sphere found that to be peculiar and maybe a little um, less than positive, I always thought of it as, uh, you know, as something that was uh, endearing and great. And um, that pragmatism that, um, that, that, that made America great, that pragmatism that uh, you see in people like General MacArthur when he uh, waded through the shallow water of the Philippines to board his uh, little craft that would take him to his ship when let's face it, the Japanese kicked America out of the Philippines, a, a highly strategic uh, outpost, if not more than that, in, in the Pacific, right? And MacArthur knew that he was beaten. 
You know, he knew that he was beaten. Why? Because that was reality. I mean, the reality those in those early stages of the, for, uh, the Second World War, sorry, in the Pacific, was that America was losing. And America lost many of its assets in the Pacific before it regained them, and probably the most, by far the most valuable was the Philippines. And General MacArthur, who was the commanding officer of that uh, entire theater, he knew that he was beaten. He knew that uh, if he stayed, he would simply be taken prisoner or worse. He knew that uh, making some sort of a kamikaze last stand was uh, crazy and, 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 and it only would lead to the slaughter of people under his command. And so he left and he famously said, I shall be back. And he did that because he properly evaluated the situation. The situation was that the Japanese got him beat. All right. And there are many instances like that in, in, in our history, in, in American history, uh, by people from George Washington to, to, to Patton, to MacArthur, uh, to Lincoln, and so on. But what we see in America today on our side is the opposite of that. What we see in America on our side is the utter inability to accept reality. And this is, I, I didn't want to say anything about it because it, you know, it, it's not going to be popular among many of my listeners or of, uh, of my readers, the readers of my column on the America Out Loud platform and so on, and maybe some of you will be reaching for that uh, dial to change the station. I hope you, I hope you stick around. But I also feel that I have an obligation to tell you the truth. Okay, and the truth is that Joe Biden will be elected by the electors on December fourteenth, and he will be inaugurated on January twentieth. And the truth is that all the leaders in the world, from Israel to China, are now busy reading um, position papers prepared to the, for them by their various experts in their departments of um, state, you know, their ministries of foreign affairs, their ministries of defense, of agriculture, of commerce and industry, you name it. And they're all preparing to deal with the incoming Biden administration. All right. And on our side, what do we have on our side? On our side, we have a team of, I mean, honestly, far out characters. I mean, far out characters. This Sidney Powell and uh, what else? Lynn, Lynn Wood even more so. I mean, these are marginal people at best, at best, okay? Uh, they are ambulance chasers. And then we have uh, Rudy Giuliani, who in his best years was a successful mayor, which is of, of a major city, of a major, of one of the biggest cities in the world. And that, of course, is a very big job. And he did this job well, and 
Before that, when he was the DA, he uh, cleared the, cleared up the crime in New York, and he was a very successful mayor. And of course, he was the mayor during 9/11, and he comported himself very well. But all of that was 20 years ago and more. And even back then, he was not an international figure. He was not the head of state. He was the head of a city the size of many other cities, Tokyo, London, Paris, uh, L.A. So, yes, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. But honestly, right now, he's long past his due date. And he really should be uh, retired and sitting in a comfortable armchair, reading books and enjoying his um, golden years, uh, rather than, you know, or, or instead of making a fool out of himself and destroying his legacy as a serious person. And all these people floating around and doing, you know, interviews and press conferences and all of that. That's just, I mean, it's just, a, excuse my language, a bloody joke. And here's the worst part. This joke is on us, on us. Because the Lynn Woods and the Sidney Powells of this world, these ambulance chasers, these self-aggrandizers, these um, mountebanks, these shysters, they thrive, you know, they're, they're, the, they're in the mode of the, in this well-known trope of the snake oil salesman, you know. These people would travel through the American uh, frontier and, uh, you know, they would stop in small towns and get up on their soapbox or get up on their, uh, the stoop of their wagon and, um, you know, peddle their wares. And uh, they full well knew that what they were peddling was, uh, you know, <clears throat> horse crap. But they also knew that America was very, very big. And uh, by the time uh, the people that paid them good money for a little bit of uh, alcohol with a little bit of sugar and a little bit of uh, some funky herb herbs, that they may have picked up in some uh, Chinatown on their way over. By the time people uh, discovered that they were duped, they would be too far away for them to do anything about it, and they could go and, uh, you know, <clears throat> defraud the next people in the next town over. And they basically preyed on kind of the naivete of those great American frontier people. And, and I, you know, I have a, a lot of sympathy for these people because who were these people on the American frontier? They're, these were very, very hardworking, very religious, very traditional, very devoted people, people who were devoted to their God and their family and their country. They were patriots. Uh, but, you know, they, they had very little exposure <clears throat> to people who would defraud them because they also lived, luckily for them, in a very, very high-trust society. They never 
you know, locked their doors, they trusted their neighbors, and sure, there were all these crimes and gunslingers and all and whatnot, but they re very rarely went after the regular people because they had nothing to offer them. <clears throat> these criminals usually fought themselves, fought among themselves for the right to rob a, a stagecoach or a train or the local bank, but they, they left the people substantially alone. But all these snake oil men, snake oil salesmen, sorry, they preyed on the simple people. So to me, they were worse than those uh, gunslinging criminals, eh? Uh, because they took the last uh, dime out of a family's budget that could have been used to buy something wholesome, uh, rather than this uh, stuff that they were peddling that was anything but wholesome. And beyond that, and much more importantly also, and, 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 and this is what makes it so eerily reminiscent of what is happening today, what these people were selling substantially was false hope. So the people, you know, it's one thing when the people that were buying their products, they were doing so out of vanity, for example, they were buying, you know, maybe for men, all kinds of concoctions that would stop them from going bold, or for ladies, you know, all kinds of stuff that would, I don't know, <clears throat> improve their complexion. Well, I mean, first of all, that's not great either, because quite often these um, various potions and lotions that they were selling these people were actually dangerous for your health. You know, so there was nothing good about that either. But at the very least, uh, this was uh, the, the guys that were buying, the, the men and women who were buying it were doing so out of personal vanity. But there were also people who were buying this stuff because they had sick children, you know, or sick husbands, wives, parents. And they were desperate. I mean, truly desperate. I'm not talking about, you know, cosmetic stuff. I'm talking about dying children here. And they were desperate to do anything. Uh, to get some sort of a hope uh, of recovery. And that's where uh, the snake oil salespeople were so, to me, egregious and so immoral and so dangerous. And yet, that's exactly what is happening in America today on our side with, with those Sidney Powells and Lynn Woods of this world and they go out there and they peddle for money, for money, false hope to good Americans. Okay. They, they're selling this, you know, and, and I can't tell you, you know, I, I'm, I'm fairly active on Twitter under my own name. You can look me up, Baruch Pletner. And I can't tell you how many people, how many accounts that follow me and I follow. And it seems to me like they're just love, you know, lovely people, women and men from across the country, across the United States that seem very genuine, very kind of standard, uh, run of the mill, good Americans. I can't tell you how many of them truly believe that uh, 
Trump is going to somehow prevail in court or something like that. And I cannot describe to you how sad, or I, I can't even begin to describe to you how sad that makes me feel. Because these people, in very short order, soon, are going to have their hopes dashed. And, and, and beyond that, beyond that, they're not preparing for what's coming. This time right now, could before the Biden administration comes in and starts aggressively dismantling the Trump legacy, which they will undoubtedly do starting on January 21st. Well, in these few precious weeks between now and then, Americans could be spending their time preparing for what's, to, for what's going to come, assuredly, certainly going to come. And there are many Americans that could benefit from such preparation. I mean, if you uh, or somebody in your household is employed in the oil and gas sector, you, you may want to start thinking about how to hedge your bets and mitigate your risk because that sector is going to be devastated under the Biden administration very soon. And we'll continue with that in the next segment. What if a new treatment backed by 17,000 scientific articles was proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance? What would you pay for even the smallest dose of this treatment? Well, the good news is you don't have to pay anything because these are just some of the benefits of a full night of quality sleep. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Until now, most sleep aids haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's Healthy, C-E-L-L dot sleep. Welcome back to the show, folks. Um, where we left it in the last segment was that uh, the Americans that listen to those uh, shysters like Lynn Wood and uh, Sidney Powell and unfortunately also Rudy Giuliani are setting themselves up not only for an enormous heartbreak, but also uh, they are stopping themselves by believing that that nonsense that these people are peddling that somehow Biden will not be president. They are stopping themselves from preparing for what is going to come. Preparing for that uh, progressive globalist agenda that is going to come to America and preparing for the Biden crew and uh, you know, Kamala will be put in charge of in charge of that, 
completely dismantling Trump's legacy. They will rejoin the Paris uh, so-called climate accords. They will uh, change their policy in the Middle East, in other words, which will form, which will be bad for many countries in the Middle East. For example, Israel, the the Saudis, and so on. But for the purposes of this show, more importantly, it will be bad for America because more Americans will go to fight for globalist masters who meet in Davos every year and American military will become yet again their mercenary troops. So what we're talking about here is, you know, one of the things that Uh, the globalist kind of uh, cabal hated most about President Trump is that he kind of refused or at least tried to refuse uh, the use use of American uh, military. In other words, the use or abuse of young American men and women usually, as we know in America, because America does not have a draft, the people who join the military in America come from disadvantaged backgrounds from disadvantaged socioeconomic uh, circumstances. In other words, to put it in very blunt terms, those are the poor Americans. So what we have in reality is we have the richest people in the world, the globalist uh, billionaires, using uh, poor Americans Uh, and, generally speaking, American taxpayers to, uh, as cannon fodder for their uh, globalist adventures and their globalist wars uh, in the Middle East and elsewhere. And Trump was not on board with that, which is one of the reasons they didn't allow him to stay uh, for another four years. So Americans should prepare for Uh, more of that uh, warmongering, uh, and really what it is, is uh, the use of poor Americans to advance uh, globalist agenda uh, across the the world. So I know, I know that uh, more people voted for President Trump to stay in office than voted for President Trump to leave office. It could have been a total blowout landslide and it could have been uh, just a regular landslide and it could have been just a regular, you know, run-of-the-mill victory. But sure, sure, I'm totally on board with President Trump. If only legal votes had been counted and counted properly, he won the election. But he also did not win the election because... People voting is only a part of the electoral process. That's what many Americans seems to, seem to kind of miss out on, Americans on our side. The electoral process does not consist solely of voters going and so-called casting their ballots. That's only a part of the electoral process. The electoral process has other equally important parts involving things like how the votes are cast, how they're counted, 
how the what kind of um, quality controls are on the uh, who is allowed to vote, how the votes are cast, how they're counted, who is doing this quality control, what kind of methodologies are being employed. All of this is part of the electoral process. It's part and parcel of the electoral process. Always has been. Always will be. And if you want to win an election, it is not enough. And this is true in throughout history. It's not enough to convince voters to vote for you. That's not enough. Especially if you're the incumbent. If you're the incumbent like President Trump, in order for you to win an election, you must make sure that the electoral process in your country is fair, is equitable, would pass any, some, any sort of muster, and is administered by people who are not rank partisans. Or if they are rank partisans, then at least there is an equal mix of partisans on both sides of the major political divide in America. This is what Trump should have been doing starting on January 21st, 2017. This, this should have been his highest priority. And listen, I don't want to listen to or hear any of that nonsense about state rights versus federal rights when it comes to elections or in fact anything else because the people who were successful in america the presidents who were successful in america they found ways of pushing their agenda within the american uh, federal structure and that starts with the very first president, George Washington, when there was the Whiskey Rebellion and some of those uh, good old boys in the Smoky Mountains and places like uh, the Carolinas and Tennessee, whatever, when they said, listen, we don't want to pay your stinking, you know, liquor tax. Washington, Washington could have said, well, you know what? Let uh, North Carolina send its state militia or what today would be called National Guard or whatever to deal with state matter. No, 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 no. He levied uh, troops, he organized federal troops and he went out there and he beat the crap out of those tax resistors. It was one of the first things he did in, in his presidency. When, when the South declared that they wanted to secede legally, constitutionally from the Union, Lincoln didn't say, well, you know what, that's their right. I mean, if Virginia wants to secede, then it wants to secede. What can I say? I'm not from Virginia, I'm from Illinois. But he didn't say that, did he? And we have, uh, you know, uh, FDR. When FDR decided that he was going to substantially destroy the Constitution because that's how he thought uh, he could get out of the uh, Great Depression or whatever by doing this whole New Deal thing and establishing things like Social Security and 
you know, that uh, work program where people would dig ditches and whatnot. The Supreme Court said, listen, uh, none of this is constitutional. The FDR said, I'm going to pack the, I'm going to, I'm going to put 50 more judges on there. So you better do what I tell you. And he didn't pay any attention to anything. He just shoved his agenda through, right? And it's these types of people, people who knew how to wield power from Washington uh, to Andrew Jackson to Lincoln to FDR. Actually, Theodore Roosevelt, same thing. These people didn't let anything stop them in the way of what they thought was American greatness, okay? And if Trump had truly believed that what he is doing for America is essential, if he had truly believed that him being run out of office after only one term by rabid communists, which is what has indeed happened, would destroy America. And he often said in his rallies, and he was right, that if you know Biden and Kamala won this election, there would be no more America. America would become a branch office of China, meaning really a branch office of the globalist cabal. And he was totally correct about that. But my question is, who was better positioned than him to do anything about it or to do something about it? Tweeting does not solve this problem. Playing the ruthless power politics of, politics of Washington, D.C. solved this problem. Threatening governors in various states like Michigan, Minnesota, Arizona. That's what wins elections. Elections are not won, as I mentioned before, only by people voting. Elections, wo uh, elections are won by a combination of ballots cast and ballots counted. And Trump may have done a fine job of the first one. Of, uh, Trump may have done a fine job of getting people out there to vote for him, but he did a truly abysmal job of making sure that the counting process was equitable. Trump, in fact, went out of his way to make this election still as easy and painless as possible for those who, in fact, then went out and stole it. Trump could have put people in charge of looking into what kind of systems are being used for vote counting in key swing states. Did he do that? No. He could have <clears throat> threatened the governors of those states to clean, up, to clean up their act or else. And there's plenty of levers of power that he could have used against them. But not now, not after the election when he's done. Long before the election. And not only that. 
in the midterm election of 2018, this exact situation that happened now happened then. Lots and lots of uh, Republican uh, candidates for and the House of Representatives were winners at midnight and losers the next morning or a week or a week later or two weeks later because all of a sudden these <coughs> votes these fake ballots magically appeared so the democrats uh, if you want to call them that tipped their hand they they totally disclosed their entire playbook their entire war plan and that gave trump two years two years in which to do something about it, and he did absolutely nothing. So excuse me if I'm not very much impressed with President Trump, who, who, whom I do like, but I've, unfortunately I think that he's going to go down in history as one of the most tragic people in all of human history, actually. One of the most tragic cases in human history entirely through his own fault. And that's what makes it so, so tragic. Because he had enough power to make sure that uh, they would not do in 2020 what they did in 2018, and he did not use it. And he did not use it, and then what happened was that he lost and yes he did not lose on the vote casting side he lost on the vote counting side but that matters for nothing it does not matter it doesn't matter if you lose the election on the voting side or the vote counting side a loss is a loss and that is what happened trump lost and let me tell you something. Uh, what is happening now? I, you know, <clears throat> back in the day, quite a long time ago, I made the mistake of contributing some not insignificant money to the Republican National Committee. Uh, this was uh, during the first years of uh, Bush Jr. presidency, uh, just after 9-11. And since then, of course, I'm on their uh, email list, right? So I get, as I'm sure many of you, my listeners, are getting, every day I get, uh, oh, I don't know, dozens of emails asking me for money from various branches of Trump campaign or Trump this or Trump that. For what? This has become a scam. And Trump, and, and the, I must say his family, and it pains me to say that, but the Trump family are now basically running a scam. They're scamming Americans out of their money. And I'm going to say again, that the Americans that they're scamming out of their money are the direct descendants of the Americans that bought those concoctions from snake oil salesmen. The people that are that believe in Lynn Wood, in Sidney Powell, in Rudy Giuliani, <clears throat> those are the same type of people that used to buy those lotions and potions from the back of a 
you know, wagon. They're good people. That's my point. They're good people. They're good, hard-working people. American patriots. But they're also naive. They're naive about how the world really works. And they're a little bit too optimistic. And they're just being preyed upon. These people, these, these Lynn Woods and Sidney Powells, they're just like this, you know, the snake oil salesman. They <clears throat> took advantage of the fragile, of human weaknesses in, in the people that they were preying upon. <clears throat> Maybe this lady wanted to have desperately a better complexion so she could remarry. You know? Or this guy wanted to hide his bald spot. You know? Or they had a sick child. Anyway, we're coming to the end of the segment. More in the next. Stay tuned. My fellow Americans, our mission here at AmericaOutloud.com is clear. We're here to defend our founding values and principles at a moment when they are under unprecedented assault. And to cover the news objectively and offer intelligent commentary on the challenges we face as a nation. You can tune in and join our family of listeners 24-7 in this vital crusade. Our apps are on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Find us on iHeartRadio or our world-class media player. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Uh, welcome back to the show, folks. So you're going to tell me Supreme Court and all of that. Uh, no, it's not happening. Uh, there are no real lawsuits. There is no real evidence. Nothing is going to go in front of the Supreme Court. And even if it did, the Supreme Court is not going to overturn uh, anything. Okay, it's just, it's just not happening for a variety of reasons. And we can talk about those reasons. The people that operate uh, these counting machines, this Dominion, whatever, none of them, none of them is going to come forward uh, credibly in their own name and sign sworn affidavit that they saw massive numbers of votes being changed from Trump to Biden. It's just not going to happen. Why? Because first of all, Dominion, I'm sure, had a pretty tight, uh, had pretty tight, tight screening for who it hired for the for those positions that had access to programming to counting, and so on. So there's also a reason why some of that was offshored. Second of all, these people would be putting their lives in their uh, hands. Uh, you know, the guy that, uh, that Apple computer store owner, right? That uh, when he had Biden's, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, he 
instead of keeping quiet about it, he went to the FBI and then he went to Rudy Giuliani and so on. He did all the right things, didn't he? Well, he's out of business. They ran him out of business now, right? The hair salon owner that uh, put out the security camera footage of Nancy Pelosi getting an illegal makeover, haircut, whatever. She's out of business, isn't she? Okay. The guy, uh, Bubulinski, right? <clears throat> that uh, who was, uh, who made the mistake of his life and became for a while the Biden's père fils, as the French would say, father and son, crime family. And then he came forward and told his story courageously. Well, where is he now? Hopefully he has enough money to survive this, but nobody's ever nobody's hearing his name now, right? And what difference did his story make? Now, none. It may have made some difference on the voting side, but did they care about it? No, because they had a lockdown on the vote counting side, which is more important than the voting side. You know, in mathematics, we have this expression uh, or this formulation of proofs and so on, which involves two steps, the necessary condition and the sufficient condition. Both, both must be satisfied in order for something to be true. Well, that's true in elections. In order to win an election, you have to have two things. <clears throat> the necessary condition is that more people vote for you than for the other guy. But that necessary condition is not enough to put you in that elected office or to keep you there, as in the case of President Trump. What needs to happen is that the sufficient condition must also be met. And the sufficient condition is that these votes that were cast are accurately counted, or to put it even more mathematically, that any errors in the counting of those votes are random. In other words, they accrue equally substantially to both sides, and then they cancel themselves out. When both the necessary and the sufficient conditions are met, then somebody can be elected or re-elected. In the case of President Trump, in his 2020 campaign, well, let's, let's look first at 2016 campaign. 2016 campaign, the necessary condition was met. He got more votes, where it counted based on the American Electoral College system and probably also uh, in a popular vote. I, I believe that too. But let's not, not even worry about it. He got enough votes where it counted. In Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Florida. But then, as far as counting these votes, it was done reasonably, accurately, and correctly, and without bias, to the point where the sufficient condition was met also. What happened in the 2020 election was Trump got many more votes. We know that. And even the votes that were counted tell us that. <clears throat> but, so he passed the necessary condition bar, but he failed in the sufficient condition bar. Uh, bar. He failed to meet the, the sufficient condition because the votes were 
counted incorrectly, or in other words, they were counted in such a way, purposefully, that would guarantee Trump's defeat. And therefore, quite simply, he was not re-elected. And now again, you can tell me all you want that legally, morally, ethically, all things being equal in a perfect world, he was re-elected. And what I'm going to tell you in return is that we live in no such place and never have. We do not live in a perfect, ethical, moral world. We live since the beginning of time in a corrupt, unethical, immoral world in which the only thing that counts is raw power. And the only people who win are people who are very skilled, very ruthless, and mo- and even unethical in their wielding of that power. And the American presidents who significantly advanced American interests and made America into what it is today, or at least was until a short time ago, were exactly that type of people. Ruthless, even to the point of being unethical, power wielders, you know? And there's so many examples of that. You know, the, 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 the presidents that pushed uh, Americans, America's boundaries across the Great Plains and over the Rocky Mountains and to the Pacific Ocean, they made many, many ethically questionable decisions. For example, they broke every treaty with, 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 with every native tribe that they or their predecessors have, have ever signed. Sometimes they broke these treaties before the ink was dry on them. Okay? They um, engaged in practices that, you know, unquestionably today would be called war crimes and genocide towards these uh, uh, Native Americans. When uh, the Holocaust was raging in Europe, America closed its doors to American, to America's, sorry, to Europe's uh, Jews because America had a kind of a moratorium on immigration from the 20s to the 1920s to 1960s. And it was determined ruthlessly, immorally, unethically, perhaps, that the interests of America superseded the genocide against Jews that was happening in Europe. And so none of these Jews was saved. Uh, Ships were turned away. Uh, We know the the instance of the internment of uh, American Japanese uh, on the West Coast. And maybe at that time it was the correct decision. Now everybody with the benefit of hindsight and without the danger of being overrun by the Japanese imperial military is everybody saying, oh, it was a horrible thing to do. But back then, it probably was the right thing to do. 
That doesn't mean that it was the ethical thing to do or the moral thing to do. But it may have been the correct thing to do to defend America and Roosevelt did it. When the Allies, substantially the British and the Americans, firebombed America, uh, sorry, German cities, killing countless civilians, it was neither ethical nor moral, but it was just from the perspective of America and from the perspective of winning that war that had to be won. You know, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, the, 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 the guy who wrote Catch, uh, the, the guy who wrote uh, Slaughterhouse Five and so on, not, uh, he was a prisoner of war, American prisoner of war, held by the Germans in Dresden when it was uh, firebombed by the Brits, right? And basically uh, erased from the face of the earth. And that made him into, a, uh, that experience made him into a, a raging pacifist, a kind of uh, liberal, even communist. But he was wrong. Because it was right to bomb Dresden. It needed to be bombed. When America firebombed every Japanese city, with the exception of Kyoto, it, it didn't stop, you know, there was this uh, Curtis LeMay, right? Uh, he was uh, the guy who was responsible for the American Air Force of these bombings. And he had power. He had hundreds, if not thousands, of these bombers. And God only knows how many megatons of TNT. And he dropped every single one of them on Japan. Because for America, it was the right thing to do. And President Truman didn't hesitate to bomb Japan with not one, but two atom bombs. And believe me, if the Japanese had not surrendered, he would have dropped another one. And that was the correct decision. It was wielding the power that you have to achieve the ends that you wanted to achieve because the American people entrusted you with that awesome responsibility to take care of their interests and to use the power that they put in your hands, including a nuclear device, two of them, to save American lives and to achieve America's geopolitical objectives. And he did it, Truman. Well, guess who did not do it? Guess who at the last minute balked? Guess who at the last minute did not push that red button? President Trump. President Trump was entrusted by the American people with the power to put it, uh, you know, bluntly, nuke the American globalist establishment known as the Deep State. He could have done it. He did not do it. Now, nuking Japan or nuking the American Deep State is fraught with tremendous peril. 
It's an exceedingly high risk decision. When Truman dropped uh, the bomb on, on Hiroshima, it was only what, like second or third atomic bomb ever made. And there was only, I think, one test or something like that that was done before it was dropped. Nobody knew what were, what were going to be the effects, long term or short term, of using that weapon. Not ethically, not morally, not biologically, not physically, not geopolitically. The risks were unimaginable to America also. But he did it. And it was successful. It saved countless American lives and Japanese lives. And it stopped the Soviet Union, who was at war with Japan at that time, from conquering parts of Japan from the north, if not all of it. And it saved uh, the Pacific for, the, for America. And it curtailed Stalin's and the Soviets and Russia's ambitions in the Pacific because Japan substantially hems in the Russian Pacific uh, fleet. That raw use of power in the face of tremendous risks is what separates great presidents from mediocre ones. And the tragedy of uh, Mr. Trump is that he came so close. He came to within a hair, to within just a few neurons firing differently in his brain from becoming the greatest president that America has ever had. But because he did not push that button, because he did not destroy the American globalist deep state, choosing instead to make deals with them. And when they, and when they double-crossed him, he made another deal. He hired uh, John Kelly, and when they get that guy double-crossed him, he hired McMaster. And when that guy double-crossed him, he hired another deep stater. And he... F he when he fired Comey and he put in Comey uh, uh, 2.0, Ray, right? Chris Ray. Who is Chris Ray? He's, a, he's exactly the same thing as Comey. And we know what happened. The FBI, was, the FBI led the coup against the president and then they led the cover-up. And not under Comey, under Christopher Ray, who was a Trump appointee. Same thing with Gina Haspel who he put in charge of the CIA. So Trump, the tragedy of Trump, and the tragedy of America, really, is that he was almost the right guy at the right time. Almost. But when push came to shove, when it was time for him to order that nuclear strike on those un-American people occupying all of Washington DC, the corridors of entrenched power, he did not give the order to drop, to drop that bomb. 
And because he didn't, his legacy, such as it is, will be demolished. So, I'm sorry to end on this uh, kind of uh, note, but it's important to know the truth. If you know the truth, you can stay free. Stay free, my friends. Stay safe.